What is going on, everybody? This is the Madness Continues podcast. This is your host, Brendan Lemon. Uh, but you know that because you you probably didn't discover this on accident. You probably found this on Quora or I linked to it on Facebook or something like that. So you already know who I am. And all eight of you are, I'm sure, excited to be here. <laughs> you're, you're begrudgingly listening to this podcast. Oh, man, Brendan posted this. He's been nice to me in the past, slash beat up my bully, slash gave me money for something once. Uh, let's go see what that sucker has to say into a microphone for a few minutes here. Oh, he's talking about who he is and introducing himself. That makes no sense. We already know who he is. Um, that's not true at all, because uh, returning listeners to this podcast, uh, all none of you, will note that I actually uh, have a listener in the Russian Federation. That's true. That is true. I have a listener in the Russian Federation. It is Vladimir Putin. Uh, I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I keep sending him. See, here's the thing. You can narrowcast these things so much these days that you can target almost individual people that you want to pop up in front of. So I just paid LinkedIn $4,500 to put, uh, and in an equivalent in Bitcoin, to put my podcast right in front of him. Uh, And he hasn't responded. But I am very hopeful because I believe in the secret. And I keep imagining Vladimir Putin's uh, shirtless body sitting across from me, speaking into a microphone uh, or via a translator. And I think, you know what? That's going to happen one day. I think it'll probably happen uh, because I believe in it. Uh, actually, it could, it could. Who knows? You know, the world is a big place. Tony Robbins says you underestimate or you overestimate what you can do in a year, but underestimate what you can do in 10 years. And I think that there's some truth there. So maybe in the next 10 years, Vladimir Putin is going to be interviewed on the Madness Continues podcast. And I think I I will put I will put out so much fucking money into promotions and into marketing and into just about every possible thing I can do to try to get attention for that podcast and when we sit down to interview I will just ask him the most mundane and irrelevant questions to anything that'll be like what do you go to as a snack food Vlad (laughs) uh do you think the Cubs are an underrated team this year (laughs) just just total nonsense Oh man, it'll be like uh, it'll be like that Monty Python sketch. You have to go look this up. Where they uh, it's the greatest philosophical minds in the world, the meeting of the minds, and they sit down. And all they ask them are English Premier League football questions. Uh, it's like Karl Marx. Do you think that Arsenal will take it this year? Uh, spoiler alert: They won't. Uh, Arsenal fans are consistently disappointed in their team. I know that because my family is British, as in from Britain. Uh, that was a can of the Black Phillip. I had one can earlier, but because it's uh, it's only 4.5% because it's made for sorority girls. Actually, it's made for goths. It's made for gothic sorority girls. Uh, boy, I didn't intend to talk about any of this, but when I switched that on with that record button, okay, when I hit that little red button and I see that red light come on on my Zoom H5 handy recorder, I just... My mind just, I just become unleashed. I'm a fucking crazy cat, man. Don't look into my eyes. I'm a, you know what this is? That's catnip to me. You're taking that nip and you're throwing it in a cat's face when you hit that record button, Brendan Lemon. And I'm loose on the world. I'm loose on the fucking world. Okay. 
So why did I bring you all here today? Uh, I wanted to give you guys an interesting update and talk about a, a couple of things that were kind of going on in my life that I thought were cool and maybe cool to relate. Uh, I went to New York for the first time. Bang! That was pretty dope. Uh, it was pretty cool. I went to New York. I'd never been there. And uh, I had I went there for a thing, actually. I went there for a thing. I can't talk about it, really. Uh, I can talk about a couple of different things. Uh, it was pretty cool. I hung out with William Petit, who's a comedian, who you will hear me on his podcast. I got to have him on mine soon, because that's how this works. It's one giant conversation that we're all having. Everybody goes on everybody else's show. But uh, William Petit, uh, the lazy philosopher himself, I'll link to his uh, podcast in this podcast, just so you guys can go check it out. Uh, big time core dudes, 70,000 followers across the world. Maybe it's even higher now. Uh, he's got a ton of people who follow him. He's a very interesting man. Uh, I met him through doing stand-up comedy in Chicago, and uh, he's, a, he's a true soul brother. He's a really kick-ass dude um, who's making it happen in NYC. And uh, we had the best time, had a great time. And uh, what's interesting about it, though, is that I had never been there, and I flew in from Chicago. And as the, as the plane came in, from uh, the south, it, it descended, uh, you know, over Brooklyn, basically, as it comes up, so, sort of the mouth of the river there. And on the left-hand side of the plane where I was sitting, you can see, you go, oh, it's the Statue of Liberty. It's the, basically, the it's the whole, you know, Hudson River is, uh, opens right there. Um, you get the Manhattan. You can see the, the financial district. You see, you know, the Freedom Tower. You can see all of that stuff is right down there. And it's so weird because I had never seen any of that stuff except in like the movies. And then you're like, holy shit, it's right there. It's exactly what it looks like. I've seen only hundreds and hundreds of images of this city from, you know, movies and television and photographs and everything. And then it's right there. That's where it is. It's right there. And it looks exactly what it's supposed to look like. And here's what's strange about that feeling. That's happened every time I've ever met anybody or anything from... TV or movie or anything like and I met a lot of interesting people uh, and I've been to a lot of interesting places. Uh, it re it re reminded me it recalled me to the first time I'd seen the Eiffel Tower, which uh, which is a similar structure. You see it. And first of all, here's the difference, though. I mean, like New York is actually kind of amazingly small, if that makes any sense. It it's just you look at it from the plane and you're like, oh, it's just this island. Like, it's just right there. And uh, it's still spectacular. I mean, don't get me wrong. And it is a very big city. It's a big-ass city. And when you're in it, you, it, do, it still also feels big. But there's something about it, seeing it from the plane, where you're just like, it's just right there. Like, it's just not that. It's just there it is. Uh, but the Eiffel Tower is the opposite. It's enormous. Like, you go to it, and you're like, holy shit, this building is enormous. It's way bigger than I thought it would be. It's just gigantic, and you can go buy it on the Line Six Metro, uh, or you walk by it. Uh, you, you know, you go, you come up. Maybe you come up from Trocadero, and you haven't seen it. And then when you come up from the side, it's just enormous and looming in front of you. And because you've been around buildings in the city so much, you can see them for scale, and it's just enormous. I mean, that was the opposite. But I was like, holy crap, it's right there. It looks like it's supposed to look. I mean. What a crazy, I think, here's why I think this is important. I might digress for a second. I am going to talk about other things. But what I think is interesting is that we live in this time in which all of the, this is increasing virtualization. Everything is increasingly virtual. Uh, hold on while I take a drag of this. Ah, oh, that hits the spot. 
Mm, just a delicious Blake's hard cider from Armada, Michigan. Okay, uh, here's the thing. The philosopher Jean Baudrillard talks about this, but we live in this time, and he says in this book, Simulacra and Simulation, we live in this time in which there's a very strange sort of uh, unreality that comes from the fact that everything is uh, virtualized. And, and the reason it's virtualized is because we live in a world that uh, he describes as a proliferation of images that all we see are representations of everything. But the the, the real issue is that if we live in a world in rep, of representations, it, especially when they're good representations, they become almost indistinguishable from the real thing. So that when real events actually happen, they feel virtual. So it's like, you know, Donald Trump uh, is president of the United States, which is a statement that is whew, heavy. But anyway, Donald Trump is president of the United States, and the the thing about that is it's it it feels virtual. It feels so virtual. Most people have never seen Donald Trump in real life. Certainly, most people did not see Donald Trump being sworn in as president of the United States. Most people, I mean, in real life, most people have never met him. He's not a real person to you. He's a figment of the world. He's some guy who may or may not exist. He might as well be a story of Hercules or something. Like these are not even the you you'd have you see these images, but they mean nothing to you. They don't impact your life, you know, really in the sense that, uh, like your you know like your friends do or a policeman on the street does when he sees you and and you see him or something. It's like this guy, it's it's disembodied. I mean, you might feel the forces of government in your life. You might feel scared because Donald Trump won, but all of those things are happening internally inside of you. Uh, Donald Trump is not physically threatening you right now. Uh, that is, by the way, not an apology for him. That man is terrifying. Uh, and I think his his level of incompetence is terrifying. His level of corruption is terrifying. Um, and when Vladimir Putin is on this podcast, we'll talk about it. Anyway, where am I going with this? Uh, it's just bizarre because the city f- is actually real. And the big realization I had when I was there was this shit is real. This is all real. There are really people who are really in rooms with real cameras who point those cameras at them and say action and stuff happens and then people go watch that. And you can be someone who's on either side of that camera or you can be someone who's watching it on a screen. These are all real things that are occurring. There are real people with real billions of dollars who exist who are writing checks for stuff sometimes. Maybe they write a check uh, to fund a movie or they write a check to you know, take their fund somewhere or they, you know, they, these are, the point I'm making is this, this is all real. This doesn't not happen. And as somebody who's in the Midwest and grew up in the Midwest, I think that just, it never occurred to me that those, they're tangible experiences of that kind of thing. I mean, it's just boggles, it kind of boggles the mind a little bit uh, that all of that is the case. I mean, everything I've, I've existed in my reality was nothing like that. I didn't have any of that stuff. I didn't have money or people who had lots of money or people who did anything interesting, like get on in front of a camera or, you know, I mean, I've been doing stand up and for 15 years, I've done different commercial and marketing work and things like this. I was in a movie and on a TV show, but it just, it, what, it just didn't, it's not the same. There's something different. You see the buildings, you fly in, you go, that's Freedom Tower, there's the memorial for the World Trade Center, and then suddenly you go, fuck, man, that that is some real 
ass shit. That's some real ass shit, yo. Take it with you. Think about that for your life. If you're going to take away something from this podcast, it's going to be, man, Brendan is boring. But the second thing is going to be, go home and take out a piece of paper and maybe do a little bit of writing about that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a little bit of journaling about it, I think, because there's just something, there's definitely something there. Like, think about the, because here's why. Think about the things you're missing out on in your life. Think about the things you're missing out in your life because they're not actually real to you. I, this is why I think some people don't lose weight for real though is because oof, pardon me that cider's coming back up it's because they sit down and drink cider no here's why I think some people don't lose weight is because they can't they, they just they truly do not believe it's real they're somebody who's maybe always been uh, overweight they've maybe always had issues uh with weight they they there's just too much going on that's preventing them from actually buying into the idea that they could get healthy and uh, i used to see some of these people actually because uh they would come into the the crossfit in manistee michigan i used to belong to a place called crossfit manistee and uh it's a it's a great it's a really cool place doesn't exist anymore and i wrote an article about it that went viral some years ago because they closed it and one of the things I realized uh, reflecting there was that I had been a member f- there for, for months and months and months and saw people who really, who did not believe they could get into good shape, who just by showing up and doing the work did. They did, and they could see themselves begin to do it. And having them, watching those people realize that really blew my mind in terms of like, I had no idea that belief was that st- strong and tangible of a thing that could affect someone's life and watching someone's beliefs change because they finally accepted the data that they're seeing was heavy and I think that you know think about this if they had never shown up if that CrossFit had never opened up and they had never showed up they might still be you know really overweight on healthy people and some of them are to this day now much much better they made a life change and it's really possible. So to me, what hit me with this New York trip was I was like, wow, it's a real place with real shit that really happens. And all you got to do is figure out how to get into that world. And it might not, for you listening, it might not be New York. It might be something else. It might be the world of swimming or it might be uh, Mykonos in Greece and it might be... Uh, you know, a coffee table book with your name on it about butterflies, or it might be, I mean, I don't know what you're into, man. You could be in any kinds of shit. It might not be butterflies. Maybe it's a, 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 you know, a very colorful coffee table book of glass dildos. I don't, the point is this, you like dildos and you like glass ones. So get some organization around that and get your life in gear. No, the point is this, whatever it is, it doesn't exist currently. It's not in your reality. But it's a thought, and it could be. It could, it could be. New York was not in my reality. It was as real to me as any other spot in the map. It was real to me as Narnia, for Christ's sake. I knew more about the land of Middle Earth than I really did about New York. <laughs> and, and bizarrely, some changes in Middle Earth, as I discovered them, were more influential than anything I knew about New York or could know about it. 
So it was like it was almost like it didn't, you know, it didn't really exist in the kind in that kind of way. It didn't didn't actually didn't affect me. It had no connection with it. And uh, and now I do, and that's and now it's in my reality. So now there are things about it that feel very saliently like this could really these are things that I can incorporate into my life. So you know, ruminate on that. Uh, I will go through and talk a, a little bit more about this uh, weekend though, because it was it was freaking spectacular. By the way, if you think of something, uh, I want to hear about it. I would love to hear from my listeners, uh, all eight of them, what you are working on. What are you doing? I'm actually starting because here's why. I'm actually I got a book recently. Um, I'm active on Cora, as some of you know from listening uh, to me there and finding my work. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on Quora. And one of the cool things about Quora is that you can connect with, uh, many, many people who are truly really interesting people. And, uh, you know, my built William Petit, who I mentioned earlier, connected with James Altucher on there, who is a, uh, very cool dude. And I met him actually over this past weekend. I think that's okay to talk about. Uh, but that's not the point of this. I will go into that in a moment. What I was going to say is I'm reading Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life with Mike Shee uh, on Quora. And potentially, if you're listening to this, we, we, we're, we're still trying to figure out, and I need to maybe connect with him this evening, about uh, how we're going to do that. We want to keep one another accountable by doing the exercises in this book. And I thought a good way to do that would be doing them publicly, maybe talking about them on video or on this podcast or potentially uh, writing about them so that we can kind of all go through them. And, uh, and, and really designing your life is about essentially trying to trying to think through your future. Uh, it's something similar to what I'm doing with uh, Jordan B. Peterson's future authoring program. It's a very powerful program. I bought it. It was only 30 bucks. By the way, designing your life is only $17 hardcover. You can get it on Kindle for 13 bucks uh, or you can get a, uh, trial of Audible, and just go ahead and download that thing. By the way, this this uh, podcast is not sponsored by shit because uh, I ain't got enough listeners to do that. I definitely could get a sponsor because I don't mind at all talking about the things that I love. I've already mentioned the Zoom H5, my uh, Blake's Hard Cider, Designing Your Life, uh, and Audible. So <laughs> there's a lot... There's a lot going on there. Uh, but where were we going with this? I was talking with Mike Shee about designing your life. Uh, this is important, by the way. Jordan B. Peterson in the Future Authoring Program has revealed through some research that people who end up going through and, and talking about how they want their life to be, really imagining it and then working through their goals, what could get in the way of their goals, what could stop them, um, putting it all together and reviewing it, have actually tend to hit their goals and they they tend to uh, stay more focused they find more purpose they they get things done they're more resilient when things go wrong and get back on track um, this this kind of thing is important and I think it speaks a little bit to the point that I was talking about before because you definitely want to um, you definitely want to have those things be a reality for you and uh, and thinking about your future I think is a big deal so this is something you can do. Man, where the fuck was I talking about? Oh, this is the weekend. That's right. So we're in New York. I'm, I'm meeting up with Bill Batit, whose apartment is the size of a, uh, really the size of a, uh, a closet. It's the tiniest. I lived in an apartment that was eight 
or nine meters squared in Paris. I mean, it was <laughs> it was the size of a king size bed. My apartment in Paris. It was so tiny. I had it was long and thin. It was a studette on the seventh or eighth floor of a building near Place Violette, uh, near the Michelle. I think it was Michelle. Bizo, maybe it was not Michelle Bizo. I think actually Michelle Bizo is in a different area of the city now that I'm thinking about it. It was by Metro Commerce was the one that I took though. Uh, this is the line eight by uh, Park Commerce. Anyway, it, it was so tiny that I it was like I had a bed that was uh, probably two and a half feet wide and uh, f- four and a half feet long. It was so tiny. I had a closet that was wedged up against the wall, and then I had a, a font for a sink, uh, in a, a very tiny, very tiny, uh, refrigerator and literally like no other room, no other space in the room. There was a desk by a window, which could open. And if you turned around, you were back in the hallway. That was (laughs) how tiny that apartment was. It was so tiny. And, (laughs) and William Petit's apartment is about the same size in New York. It's, so small. And this guy, I got to tell you, William Petit is, a, is a, a class act. You should go listen to his podcast. He's an interesting dude. Um, he talks about interesting things. And uh, we were talking about frame control in his apartment, uh, which you can go listen to the podcast if you want to hear about that. It's On his bed, he's got a queen-sized bed that him and I both slept on in opposite directions. And the room is only big enough for that. <laughs> There's literally there was one spot between the the I mean his door could not even open all the way. It opened to like a sixty degree opening. <laughs> it didn't even open in ninety. And you had to wedge through. I couldn't even I had to go through sideways. Like, God forbid he puts on a few extra pounds, he'll never get out of that room. <laughs> oh man, I guess that's one way to keep him uh, you know. To keep him uh, thin, to remind him. So, uh, the cool thing about New York is that all there's all this stuff that is just going on. Like we went out there to go visit him. I went out there to go visit the city and uh, basically just check out things that were going on in the stand-up world. Uh, he's been out there for a couple months. We got back from Edinburgh. Uh, we did the, a month there. He came back. He moved to New York. I came back to Chicago. Um, I, we both got back into stand-up. He's been having all kinds of different things going on. He's he's uh, meeting people. He's been on the Race Wars podcast a few times, which is pretty cool. Um, talks about us a, lots of different stuff. Um, but we're both very active, and I had just never seen anything in the city before. And we went out, went to the Comedy Cellar, which was fantastic, by the way. Uh, it's it's one of the coolest rooms for comedy I've ever seen. I mean, we we saw all the there was a bunch of comics there. Azar Usman, who's the number one rated according to CNN.com, Muslim comedian in the United States, uh, who is also starting a podcast soon. By the way, he uh he was out there and doing a set at the cellar, and it was really freaking cool. I mean, got up, crushed it. Uh, we hung out at the um. The Olive Tree, which is a restaurant just above uh, the Comedy Cellar, and had some drinks and just kind of chilled out. It was a uh, it was a great time. Met uh, Gary Goldman, the comedian, who's uh, I mean a savant. Uh, met Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarlane, his wife. 
uh, met Jeff Ross, all these guys were just hanging out in the back. We're just talking to them and they all kind of just, they knew, I, I don't know who they thought we were, if they thought we were comedians or people who somehow made it in the room, but you know, Bill and I were on cloud nine. So we had this kind of presence that, you know, we were just existing in a different reality and all these guys just felt comfortable coming over and going, Oh, Hey man. And introducing themselves, Jeff Ross patted me on the back. I, I complimented his velvet blazer, which was very nice. Uh, you know, Rich Voss, I offered him a chair cause he was standing next to our table and he uh, introduced me to his wife and he was like, nah, thanks man. But I, I you know, this is my wife here. He's Bonnie. And I'm like, yeah, I know who you guys are. <laughs> you know, didn't try to freak out and fanboy out too much, but uh, it was a real, it was a real moment. But uh, this, so let me go over only one other thing, which was super cool, which is I went to Soho House, uh, met James Altucher, who's working on a pilot with uh, William Petit. It's gonna be super cool, man. They're, uh I don't think I'm telling tales out of school too much by mentioning this, but they were kind enough just to let me sort of chill out with them a little bit and go through the, the motions of uh, talking about what they're doing and what they're working on. And James uh, is a genius. He's an intelligent man. He's super cool. I've listened to him in many different podcasts and had the opportunity to meet him, which was just wonderful. Uh, he he really is a, he's a creative and interesting guy. Super grounded, super cool, very nice, very intelligent, and uh, happy to talk about, you know, just about whatever. He's, he just can shoot the breeze for a while. And uh, is a, spe- a really spectacular gentleman and took us to the Soho House, which uh, is a creative place for for creative people, I guess. And it's like a it's like a social club. And uh, it was amazing. It was it was super cool on the inside. It felt like, wow, this is a really cool that we're surrounded by really interesting people who are doing d- different projects. And a lot of people were coming into work on uh, pardon me on the Saturday just to work on their projects and just do different things. People writing books, people uh, recording podcasts and videos and all kinds of stuff. And I, uh, I, I'm really going to check it out. I think I'm going to try to become a member because the, uh, the place was gorgeous and the people were really cool. And that was really what it was about for me was I was like, man, this is just a really cool community of interesting people. So I felt like a real New Yorker. Uh, didn't see any touristy stuff at all. Uh, the city was constantly had stuff going on. I can't believe bars are open until 4am. That's, I mean, I guess that's true in Chicago as well as after hours bars, but it just, it seems like Chicago has a little more of a, Hey, look, I got to work tomorrow. Kind of of vibe to it. Uh, New York was more like, uh, what, what the fuck are we here for? Like, let's go do this cocaine. Uh, I'm joking. Of course. I never saw anybody do any cocaine. (laughs) I will tell you this, uh, I don't do cocaine, and I've never been offered it, contrary to the intensity with which I am uh, recording this podcast. I definitely don't do it, haven't done it, not really interested in doing it, to be to be perfectly honest. But I have been offered it a bunch of times in the Chicago scene and in other places in comedy, where people have been like, yo, you want to hit this yayo? And I'm like, nah, dude, I'm all right. <laughs> Uh, I'm okay. I don't really, yeah, it's not, you know, really my thing. And, uh, here's the difference between weed and cocaine. I'll say this. Uh, I have smoked weed before, of course, uh, or not just to throw you off there. Coppers. Uh, but I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a moral thing. Uh, cocaine, I think is a, a little bit of a moral thing. Maybe. I don't know. But 
it's not a moral thing with weed, but I will say this. There are lots of people who uh, definitely smoke weed, and if they offer you weed and you don't take the weed, it is weird. Like, they're like, what do you mean? Like, what? Like, okay, man. Like, there's just a strange kind of like, yeah, you didn't. I offered it, and you didn't. No one in their right mind is going to be upset if you refuse cocaine. <laughs> Because that is just more cocaine for them. <laughs> Every time I'm like, nah, I'm good. They're like, great. And they go right back to <laughs> shoving their nose in that mirror. Oh, man. it's It was... Uh, it, that city is just very intense. And I think it's uh, it has to do with the fact that it works very hard. People work on Wall Street. They make a lot of money. They work their asses off. It's extremely intense. And they think they have to have an outlet for the dark side of that intensity somewhere. Um, lots of great Asian restaurants, though. Lots of great Asian restaurants in the East Village. Uh, got some really wonderful uh, udon, udon noodle soup. Uh, went to Chinatown, checked it out. Uh, I guess that's cl- the closest thing to a touristy thing that we did is went to Chinatown. I just am not interested in touristy stuff. You know, what's the why? What's the point? Like what I I just it's it's nice to see. I think memorials are important. I think that they remind us of a community of who we are. But I think like just going and just seeing, you know, things for the sake of seeing them, it feels a little odd. Like what you know, I I just the Statue of Liberty. Like is it really like I saw it on the plane? It's enough. It's a statue that exists. It's over there. It's cool. I guess. Uh, it's a it's a piece of history. Um, and, and now it's, and now I'm done with it. (laughs) I, I may move to New York. I will move to New York, but I may never go see the Statue of Liberty and I, I'm okay with it. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think any of that happens. Uh, so I'm excited to edge into, uh, you know, a bigger world, I think is that there's, uh, there's just a lot there and, uh, we, you know, we really love to explore it. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, people who frequent clubs in this, like the Soho house. And I, I get the feeling that if you operate within one of those communities, that's just the world becomes very small to you, I think in many ways. And what the fascinating thing is that you're only really one degree or two of separation from people who can kind of get you into that space. And then you can meet the people in the space. So it's like, I, I don't even know. I don't know Tony Robbins. Uh, it, I don't know him personally. But I bet I could meet him. Like, I bet I could bet on meeting him. And I could probably make that happen. Uh, currently, William Petit offered me a challenge, which was to see if I can get Patton Oswalt to play the Vic here in Chicago. Uh, I feel like I could maybe make that happen. Uh, I don't know how to do it though. And that was the point when Bill was like, okay, well now you got to do it. And I was like, oh fuck. Okay, great. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you got to do, go do it. So I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to call Patton's people and go, Hey, uh, can you do the Vic? <laughs> Cause William Petit asked me to ask you. <laughs> I know you don't know who that is, but he's uh, he's not a fan. I can tell you that. Um, and that's not that Bill doesn't like Patton. I'm sure he, he would love him. I just don't think Bill's as big of a nerd as I am and can't really get into the material as much as I can. Uh, Bill is a cool dude. He's a cool guy. He's got time. He's trying to you know trying to sleep with chicks. 
uh, trying to bang these white bitches. He's uh, walking around Manhattan, five high-fiving people, going to the gym, taking a shower. No towel, by the way, in his apartment. That was kind of interesting. Uh, I walked into that uh, fucking, you know, uh, storage unit of a place, and uh, it was just <laughs> no towel. No sheets either on his back. Actually, that's not true. He had a hypoallergenic sheet, which was a king-size uh, sheet on a queen-size bed, which is horrible. It's such an uncomfortable feeling for some reason to have all this just extra fabric existing around you. There's something about it that just does not, it does not line up with my uh, intended bed-laying experience. Uh, but I still, I can't complain too bad because he gave me a place to stay, man. He's, I mean, what a saint. The man let me stay in his own bed, you know, during this period of time. Introduced me to people in his network. Didn't ask me for a thing. He's a beautiful man, and you should listen to his podcast. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying listen to his podcast a little bit. Uh, you'll get something out of it because he's intelligent and cannot stop having intelligent conversations. It's crazy because, like, Bill in his act talks about, he's like, I used to do cocaine. And we're like, yeah, the real addiction that you have is insight. You just can't, you cannot not have insight or be insightful. Uh, pardon me, sorry, as I turn this mic away. Uh, I'm saying a lot. It's uh, It's been a special time, though. I mean, this week has been crazy, man. Uh, we're trying to work out our feelings about Louis C.K. It's nuts because every one of these podcasts that I've done so far, I've talked about some dude who's now following from power because he was uh, sexually misconducted himself with uh, women. I feel like this uh, witch hunt is going to go on until uh, they start accusing fictional characters. Uh, if there's a slight bit of derision in my voice, I think it's only because of the glee to which I see female comedians in the scene taking at Louis falling. I, I I think it's it's not something to be excited about. I think it's sad. Uh, it's sad that a dude uh, would make women feel uncomfortable. I think that's sad. I think he probably didn't intend to do that. I think he probably his idea of you know masturbating in front of some comedians who were coming to his room and the other times that it's happened cuz clearly it's chronic. He probably didn't start the idea with Look how I can't wait to make these women feel uncomfortable. It's probably not what he thought of. Um, so I guess I feel a little bit weird because there's a lot of other questions that then take place. Like, is Louis a guy who had no skill with women at all? And literally he knows that he has the status to get away with this. And he's ignoring the fact that that's creepy and uncomfortable. Um that could be an answer. How guilty can a guy be for that kind of thing? Especially if he asked for consent, which it sounds like he did. Uh, you know, I mean, he should feel maybe embarrassed, I, I suppose. And I think it makes sense to when information that's public or comes out like this publicly. I think it makes sense for people to be like, hey, dude, what the fuck? And for him to make an apology like he did. I think that makes sense. Uh, is it? Something that is causing other, is it enough of an upset to draw pictures of him uh, hanging and burning? 
Uh, I don't think so. Some female comedians I know in the scene have posted things like that on Facebook. It feels a little aggressive and overblown to me. Part of it, I think, is this. I think that Louis is kind of a soft target. I think that he's a guy who in the past has been kind of an ally, um, which is weird because in retrospect, I think that if he wasn't, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, Charlie Sheen locked a woman in a bathroom and she called the police because he said he was going to kill her. That woman was Capri Anderson. That's a real thing that happened. Charlie Sheen has uh, really never gone to jail for that, so far as I know. Uh, and if he has, comment below and link to something. I'll believe you. Uh, Rich or Ray Rice, pardon me, punched his wife in an elevator. Uh, NFL, you know, they didn't really, nobody freaked out that much. Woman stayed with him, and uh, he he was suspended. That was about it. I mean, the the level of those things are terrible, obviously. They're awful. Um, is it creepy and weird that Louis jerked off in front of women who were like who were not not into it, even though they did say yes and could have left? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It puts people in an awkward position. Uh, I think if somebody puts you in an awkward position, maybe you should just take ownership of it and go, no, I don't want this, and leave. And if you were traumatized in the sense that later you looked back and said, why didn't I leave and why didn't I do that? That feels a little bit like it's something that you got to work out with yourself. Um, I, you know, I had a guy. So here's the thing. I had a dude before everybody freaks out and all the feminists post and say, Brendan Lemon is a rape apologist. One, no, no rape happened here. Uh, and if it did, that would change my opinion. I would definitely be like, hey, look, this is f totally fucked up. You shouldn't do this. But the other thing about it is that, um, you know, I was I was a me I had a me too moment where uh, some time ago I had a a, a man molest me in a bar, uh, who's a gay man I assume. Um, never really went that far in the conversation, but he was definitely coming on to me is how it felt, and uh, was grabbing my my junk, um, and it f fucked me up for a little bit. Same thing, and in, in probably a, s a similar way. To I mean I was actually molested so it's probably not the same but probably similar way to you know how these women felt when this happened with uh, Louis and I think it's it's it was weird I, I had to work through it and I went did I do something that brought that on I didn't did I uh, sent out a signal I wasn't supposed to send out was I. You know, and again, this was not a guy who was in a position of power who did this to me. Uh, I can only imagine if it's a guy who you have something with. I mean, it would make me feel uncomfortable too. I think that's what I'm trying to balance is that there's been a number of different conversations I've had with different comedians over the weekend, uh, just a whole bunch of different people who are having different viewpoints. And they... They fall into a number of camps, but one of those camps is, yeah, nothing, no problem, doesn't matter. And I think I think it matters a little bit. Like I think that it's not like you know if this. I feel like what if had what if it were me, you know, if, or what if it were my sister who came to me and said, "You wouldn't believe what happened," and told me a story about that. I'd be like, well, "That guy's kind of fucked up." And uh, and then I if I knew the guy. And I had, you know, because this is what entertainment is a little bit. It's like we're hanging out, especially in comedy. It's like 
you're almost hanging out together. This is a person you strangely kind of invite into your home through television and movies and things like this. And there's a part of you that I think probably feels, and a part of me that could feel and does feel slightly betrayed. Like, hey man, we trusted you. And turns out in your past you did some weird shit. Not really to people that we know, because I don't know any of these comedians or any of these people who are accusing him, but to some people, and I kind of almost feel like, yeah, I, maybe we need an explanation here. And in that way, I think Louis' apology actually kind of owns up to it and goes like, yeah, it was weird. Here's the feelings at the time, and I learned, and I learned the lesson too late, and I feel bad about it. Um, so I guess I'm having conflicting feelings in a, in a number of ways because I think that that empathy that I have for the, the women in this situation really feels like it does demand an answer. But I feel odd about this because this is very much not the same thing as Harvey Weinstein and not even Kevin Spacey. And it 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 feel it really feels like this is this is edging in if it was any less creepy, if that makes sense, if it's any less creepy. Because if Louis were a for example, if it were less creepy, like because Louis was a better looking guy. <laughs> If Louis were, you know, <laughs> or Orlando Bloom or something, we probably this would be a non-issue. So that's why it feels so strange and overblown is that it's like, whoa, okay, like that's kind of fucked up, but, you know, maybe he just didn't. I don't know. Maybe he should He should probably say sorry, and then he did. So I feel like, hey, maybe we can move on now. I'd still listen to his comedy. I'll tell you what he should have done, though was he should have written that letter, uh, had that apology, and right at the end of it said, I now choose to live my life as a gay man. <laughs> like you just read this heartfelt apology, and at the end of it, he just turns a, makes a hard left and starts tooling everybody in the process by pulling a Kevin Spacey. <laughs> what, a, what an insane turn of events. <laughs> Oh, man. It's a weird world, man. It is a weird, weird reality that we are all living in now. I mean, uh, reality TV stars, a president, our, 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 our best buddies who come in to our homes and make us laugh, jerk off in front of random women, even with consent. I mean, that's the thing that gets me is I'm like, this is, cre this is creepy, man. Even with consent, it's creepy. Um, Anyway, we live in a fucking weird time. This is totally bizarre. I wonder if I, it's, a, it's a tragedy that Jean Baudrillard is not alive right now because I would be extremely interested in hearing what he has to say about any of this stuff. Uh, I, I would encourage you to check his things out, uh, listener, all the two or three of you. I've rambled on for a while. I'm excited, actually, in the final minutes of this podcast, now that we've <laughs> worked through this sexual shit again uh, and you dropped off. I'm I'm interested uh, to inform I'm excited rather to inform you that next week we will have a guest. Uh, I've done this before, and I think I want to get into the habit of doing it a little bit more because I like talking with people and having interesting conversations. We'll see if we can get Pat Oswalt because once I call and go, "Hey, can you do the Vic?" and he goes, "No," I go, "Well, can you do my podcast?" <laughs> Maybe he'll feel bad and go like, "Yeah, all right, fine." Um, the, uh, the next guest we have is Michael Taylor. He is a guy I connected with on Facebook. We grew up in the same area in 
Metro Detroit, Michigan. He's actually an accomplished economist. Uh, he is responsible for a handful of books that are very cool about the impact of uh, economics, analysis, and psychology on warfare. Uh, he, he also wrote uh, uh, Corporate Finance for Dummies, some books on personal finance, and some upcoming books about uh, behavioral economics, which is an extremely interesting branch of economics, and uh, Guaranteed Minimum Income. And we'll be going through all of that stuff on the podcast uh, next week when I drop that podcast out. Uh, that'll be an hour-long discussion. I try to keep these to about 45 minutes uh, because uh, why do I do that? I don't know. I guess it just kind of makes sense. You know, once I start getting a sponsor, maybe I'll throw in three five-minute uh, ads. Jesus, God, that would be awful. The worst part about that is that those ads are just every anytime you listen to him, he's just 15 seconds forward. I hit on my iPhone so much um, because I just those ads are so long. And we're looking at you, Art of Charm. It's a wonderful. You have a wonderful podcast, but those ads for Casper mattresses, ugh, oh boy. All right. Uh, I guess I here's the thing. If you're leaving this podcast saying. Like, man, Brennan with this Louis shit, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how I feel about it either. Um, I'm I'm sad, though, because I'm sad to watch a man who I respect and like deal with this shit, and it's sad to have to now incorporate that into my perception of him uh, because I don't want to do that either. He's a good guy, and he seemed like it to me. And if I had a really good friend who I found out was – making women uncomfortable, like jerking off in front of them, I'd feel equally confused and uh, frustrated. As I'd be like, why did the you? Why did you have to put me in this position by being like that, by doing those things? But also people make mistakes and they learn from them. So maybe next week, you know, in two weeks when I come back with a, a speaking, just me rambling, Maybe I will have a better sense of my feelings about this or new insights will come out and that might inform it. Not that you guys give this big of a shit about any of my feelings at all, uh, but you are listening to my podcast, so apparently you <laughs> have some of them. So we'll talk to you then, but meanwhile, guys, the madness continues. <laughs>